0: We will be looking at Isaiah today, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of, us, of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be buried as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born This, this is a word of God.
1: Hey, good morning. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, let me get myself organized here. Too many things to open. Okay, so if you'd like a title for this morning, um, I've called it Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. So as Jer was saying for the next our five weeks leading up to Christmas. We're gonna be taking a break from Ephesians, and we're gonna be spending some time looking into Advent. So I believe next week, uh, Jordan is gonna be speaking on peace, and then Jer will be taking us through love and joy uh, before we arrive at Christmas Eve, uh, obviously on the 24th. This week, I have the privilege of taking us through hope and it's been uh, quite a week. I've definitely needed some hope this week. Uh, Sometimes you expect things to come together quickly. This week, things took their time, but I think I've got something that will bless you. So as we just heard, we're gonna be looking through um, Isaiah nine. I'm actually gonna be really just focusing on one uh, section. But before we get into anything, uh, let's pray, because I definitely need that. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, sending your son onto this, into this world to die for our sins. Thank you, Father, for uh, just reuniting us together. We just pray that uh, you would just be with us today as we listen to your word. I pray that uh, you would just send your spirit just to illuminate my words and that we would hear your voice in Uh, everything that we, we look at this morning. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness, and I pray that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, George was born on a crisp winter's morning in a small town in central Germany. His parents were believers, and he was born into a Lutheran church. However, despite his education in law, his real passion was music. And by the time he was in his early teens, he'd actually learned to play three instruments. Not being content with just playing other people's music, he decided to start writing and playing his own music. And when he was 27, he moved from Germany to England and started his own company, and music business. However, sadly, things did not go particularly well, and his company went bankrupt, and he suffered himself a minor stroke. However, he didn't give up. He got back on the horse, as they say, and for many years he continued to write and perform music all across England. However, the church that was kind of involved in what he was doing. I was pretty outraged by a lot of what he was doing, and they actually accused him of blasphemy in some of his music. Now, he wasn't a member of ACDC or anything else. Um, in fact, one pastor said of his music and his work, what are we coming to when the will of Satan is imposed upon us in this fashion? So, strong words for his music. When George was in his mid-50s, however, a close friend came to him with a number of songs that he asked whether George would write the music to. So George agreed, and within just around a month, he had written two and a half hours of music. And what made the words so amazing was that they were taken directly from Scripture. Now again, this caused a huge controversy in the church, um, but really, this piece of music has gone on to become one of the most beloved Christmas pieces that we know. So, we'll leave George until a little bit later, and let's look at our text. So this morning, as I said, we're going to focus really just on verse 6. So, it says, as a reminder, after Duane read it for us, Thank you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what led up to Isaiah writing this amazing Section. So God had called Isaiah to bring judgment to the people of Jerusalem, that they had been rebelling against God and his people. Isaiah had told them that God was going to judge the city and bring the nations to rule over them. And this judgment acted as kind of like a purifying fire. You could think of it as a purifying fire. And this would basically burn away all the ungodliness that was kind of in the people at that point. But this message of judgment was also a message, a message of hope. God told them that he would go on to basically bring them a new king that would rule over them. He would rescue his people from their oppressors and establish a new kingdom filled with hope and love and peace. However, just like us, God knew that they wouldn't really listen, and so he basically used judgment to help bring it to mind. And in this way, you could think of, as we heard from Dwayne reading, that he would basically bring darkness over the land through this judgment. But God didn't wanna leave the people in this dark place. Instead, he promised, as we heard, That he would send a light into the darkness, a Messiah who would save his people and bring unity back between God and man. So, as Isaiah's prophetic words began to circulate among the people, there were kind of whisperings that people began to hear. In Isaiah 7, we read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. The people also learned that a messenger, that the Messiah would come from Nazareth, and that some sort of messenger would kind of precede him, come before him. In Isaiah 40, we read, the voice cried in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway for our God. But there was something else that came from Isaiah's prophecies, something that seemed, I don't know, a little bit darker perhaps. This savior would be rejected by his own people. He would be spat on and beaten. And he was gonna be killed, in fact murdered, by the very people he came to redeem. Is this really the king God had promised these people. All these prophetic words weren't entirely understood by everyone, but it was clear that God was sending a message of hope to his people. In fact, more than a message, he was sending a savior. Today, 2,700 years later, we are still in need of that same message we are still in need of a savior. Isaiah says, as Duane just read in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So how often do we find ourselves walking in darkness, lost in what appears to be the chaos of this life? Sometimes this can be caused by our own sinfulness. Seems to be the way for me more often than not. Sometimes just through the trials that God brings, and we've definitely experienced that this week with Sandra with a concussion. And sometimes things just seem to come on us and we will never know why, and we just have to trust God in that. In this room alone, I know that some of you are struggling with your health, I know that some of you are struggling with your families, and I know that some of you are struggling with work. But I also know that we are all holding fast to the gospel, holding on to the promises that God has given us. In all these situations, God's word comes as a light, a lamp to our feet, bringing illumination and guidance when we need it. For those of us who are struggling with health, God has promised in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will pass away. For those of us that are struggling with our families, God has promised, In Proverbs 14, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. And for those of us who are struggling with work, God has promised, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness right hand. Whatever the situation that we find ourselves in, there is grace, love, and hope for our lives. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. So whatever you're struggling with this morning, don't lose hope. He who will remember will wipe away every tear. We need to put our trust in Him As he is God and we are not. So, let's get into our main chapter six. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He was born to bring us hope, to bring light into the darkness, a child who will command governments and bring peace into the world. He is the light that has overcome the darkness that we find ourselves in. He is our wonderful counselor, the Lord of life, the Lord of all. He is the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the Holy One. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. But God chose to send Christ as a baby. He would be fully man and yet fully God. But why did he do it this way? He obviously could have done it in many different ways, but he chose to send his son as a baby. And there's a number of important reasons why he did this that I want to look at this morning. But let's just remind ourselves from the Gospel of Matthew, what happened at the very beginning. So this is Matthew 1, 18, 20, and 24. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and and said to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which he conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit, When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he was given the name Jesus. One of the first things that we should note from this is that Mary was a virgin. This is an important point because it shows that salvation came from God alone that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary became pregnant. It also reminded us that back in Genesis, we were told, and God in fact promised, that the seed of the woman would destroy Satan. Jesus, God's son, is our representative, and because he was sinless, he fulfilled God's command where Adam had failed. Romans five eighteen and 19 tells us, therefore, as one, as one transgression led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. And if Jesus hadn't been fully man, he couldn't have died in our place either. Hebrews 2:16 and 17 tells us, for surely it is not angels that help, but the help of the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had, met, he had, <laughs> sorry. Therefore he had to be made like his brother in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We also needed Christ to be our mediator between us and God. And for this to happen, Christ needed to be both fully man and fully God. We're reminded in 1 Timothy, chapter two, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. And finally, it was important that he was both fully God and fully man because he can sympathize with all we are going through. Again, in Hebrews 2, 18 and and chapter 4, 15, we read, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet never sinned. Christ was God incarnate. But not only was Christ born, he was also given, it tells us, God gave us the most precious gift, the gift of his only son. How often we think that giving a gift to someone is always one of the best things we can do at Christmas. How often we would just go to the store and we would buy something. If we really wanted to do something special, then sometimes we'll make things. I don't make things, I'm terrible at making things. But often the ladies will make something amazing. Obviously, making something just shows you're putting more time, more energy into something than just going out and buying it. But how much more special is it to give something of ourselves, something we already own, perhaps, something that is very precious? What would this look like to you if you had to give something as a present that was really special? When I was thinking of this, I immediately thought of this. This, is the most precious book I have. It is an original edition of a Charles Spurgeon letters to his students. This book is 145 years old, and what makes it really special to me is that it is actually signed by Spurgeon himself. I found this book in a bookstore for what would amount to be about $7 three weeks before coming to Canada. But if it came down to me giving someone this book or giving them my dog, Naya, it would be a hands-down decision. Take the book. I'm keeping the dog. Now think of it as needing to give one of your children or your wife or your best friend. And this is what God did. He gave his only son to us. And not only did he just give us his only son, he gave his son to us who rebelled against him, who hated him. He gave us his son knowing that when we had his son, we would kill him. We would murder him amongst other criminals. Just imagine God's love to us in doing that. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for all, how will he not also generously give us all things? We have such hope in God because of what he has already done for us. In giving us Christ, his son, God knew that one day he would pay the penalty for our sins. He would stand in our place as a propitiation, as they would say, and dying the death that we deserve. He sent Christ to die in our place. God literally killed his own son on our behalf. This is how much God loves us. As we go on, Isaiah talks a little bit more about what this would be like. For we know that unto us a child is born and that God will give us his only son, but also that the government will be upon his shoulders. Here Isaiah is letting us know that the Christ child will one day be our ruler the very governments of this world will be upon his shoulder. But what kind of ruler will he be? We need to understand this just by reading on a little bit further. For his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see that as a ruler, Christ will be wise. As a mighty God, he will be strong. As an everlasting Father, he will care for us. And as the Prince of Peace, he will bring stability, harmony, and peace into the world. Christ will be our infinitely wise king, our infinitely strong ruler, and our infinitely eternal, loving Father and he will lead us into glorious peace. Let's spend a little bit of time just looking at each of those things that are describing him. Firstly, he is called a wonderful counselor. A little bit further on in Isaiah 28, verse 29, we read, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Christ is a wonderful counselor. He is wonderful in counseling. Before he does anything, he takes into account his own counsel. He counsels himself in knowledge and wisdom. Back in Ephesians 1, just a few weeks ago, if you remember, we read... In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We were chosen because of the counsel of his will. We have obtained an inheritance because of the counsel of his will. All things are done according to the counsel of his will, not our will. And in Romans eleven thirty-three to 34, we read, "O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Here we see that no one can improve on God's wisdom and counsel. How often we come to, how often I come to God with my own ideas. Look at what's happening in my life. Maybe you should do this or that. But what we can see is that nobody counsels God. It is God who counsels us. The Psalms tell us, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Our hope rests in God because he is our mighty counselor. Counseling both himself in all wisdom and knowledge and then counseling us. Secondly, mighty God. He is not only wise, but he is strong. He is strong because he is fully God as well as being fully man. In Hebrews one, we read, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed an heir to all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the whole universe just by his word. He creates the lightning for the rain. He also holds us in his hand, loving us individually, knowing us individually, while upholding the universe caring for each of us as we have need. This is why we have hope, because God loves us. Thirdly, he is called everlasting father. Now I have to admit, this super confused me for a while, because does it not say he is the son? Here he says he is the everlasting father. For unto us a child is born To us a son is given, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father. But in Isaiah 53, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and one of the hardest to read, we read this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So here it is talking about Jesus seeing his offspring, almost as if we are his children. Christ becomes both a brother to us and a father in some way. And listen to the words of Jesus himself in John 14, 18 to 20. I will not leave you as orphans. This is like a father speaking to his children, and yet Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet in a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Here, Jesus is promising us that he will always be with us. So in a sense, I guess, Jesus is adopting us as his children along with obviously God ultimately being our Father. Finally, we have the Prince of Peace. Through Christ's amazing work on the cross, we now have peace with God. Once we were his enemies, now we can come and call him Abba Father. In Romans 5, 1-2, to we read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The most fullest statement that I know, speaking of God as our Prince of Peace, Jer read to us just a few weeks ago in Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. In Christ's death on the cross, we have been reconciled both to God and to each other. So, it was a short one today, though it seemed to take a long time to come together. As we are coming up to Christmas, it can easily be overwhelming. It can feel like there's too much going on and life can feel like it's spiraling out of control. First, we've had COVID. Then we've had the upset here in church as a body. Then we had a summer of crazy heat. Then we've had flooding that has devastated towns so close to us. And then, and then, and then, on and on. And that's even before we begin to talk about what's actually happening in our personal lives. But what's amazing is that God is faithful. His mercies are new every day for us. All we need he has provided and he is our hope for the future. For he has given us his son so that we may be reconciled to him. Our hope for this Christmas really stands on nothing but his blood and his death in our place. Romans 8 tells us that he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us, he also graciously gives us all things, as we read earlier. So even when we feel helpless, remind ourselves who Christ is. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. So let these glorious words by Mr. Spurgeon sink in. My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, Christ is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am, or shall be, or feel, or know, but in who Christ is, in what he has done, and in what he is doing right now in me. So, we started this morning talking about George. In a moment, we will have a chance to listen to the piece of music that he wrote please just use this time just to focus on what God has done. It may be slightly different to the kind of music you would normally listen to, but I think you will love it. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, use this time just to talk to him. Just confess your sin and your need of a Savior. So as we close, I should probably let you know that George lived actually nearly 300 years ago. He was born George Frederick Handel, and this is his music. We simply know it as Handel's Messiah.